What an amazing story, uh, if you've heard their story before, and uh, an amazing story of the church in Canada as it, uh, as it sought to uh, be the people of God in the 21st century. It's an amazing story. Well, hi. You kind of got me to this, this second service. I'm kind of going, I think I'd rather have them again. Yeah. <laughs> But you're stuck with me. I've been thinking about what it must be like uh, if you've been in this church for a long time and been to this mission conference. Uh, Over these next couple of days, uh, I want to talk to you about some of the changes that are going on uh, in the 21st century for the church in Canada. And, And one of the biggest changes is perhaps in what this mission conference represents and and the kinds of things that are going on here. Uh, My guess is that when this first mission conference happened, uh, it was the typical mission conference in in which missionaries would come uh, and they would share what they were doing overseas. You would pull out your wallet and you would take money and you would throw it in the offering plate and you would live vicariously through those missionaries. Uh, It's not that there was anything wrong with that, because that needed to happen. But in that context, we kind of saw them as the missionaries and us as the senders. Uh, And then God did something remarkable. He shrunk the world. Uh, he, He took the mission field that used to be over there, and he brought it back, and he brought it here. Uh, We now live in an area like the GTA in which actually almost every people group in the world is represented here. 100,000 Somalis in the city of Toronto. Uh, And one of the things that shifted was that the missionary who used to be over there now is the missionary here. And here's the thing. You are the missionary. Uh, In your neighborhoods, in your schools, in the places that you live your lives, on a daily basis, you are the people called to be a missionary people in the places in which you live your lives. And that's the shift. We used to think of them as doing it, and now you and I are called to do it. And we have to do it in the same ways that those missionaries used to think about missions. They had to learn a language. They had to learn a culture. They had to kind of embed themselves in that place. They had to learn those people were like. They had to take those people seriously. They had to understand who they were. And sometimes they had to be inconvenienced and made uncomfortable. I want us to look, if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 19. I love this church. You say, look at your Bibles and they all get them. Gosh. If you don't have one, I'm sure the person next to you does because you're all looking. Luke 19. What I want to do over these next couple of days is to look at the different kind of encounters that Jesus has with people and talk about what I think are the shifts and what churches need to do. And I want to do, as we talk this morning, I want to ask you the question, what do you want to be? What kind of church do you want to be in the 21st century? In the 1950s, almost 80% of all Canadians went to church on a Sunday morning. Think about that. I mean, people in 1955 would get up and they would think, what am I going to wear to church? A brand new believer in a church that I was pastoring said to me, "Uh, you know, Gary, I had no habit of church until I came to this place. 
And all of a sudden, he says, you've screwed up my mind and my rhythms. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, on Sunday morning, my regular routine was to get up on Sunday morning to drive, this was in Edmonton, to drive under the legislative buildings and come to the T and to go left to the high-level diner and have blueberry waffles and read my newspaper. He said, now, you've messed it all up. He says, I still drive under the legislative building and I come to the T in the road. Left is blueberry waffles, right is your sermon. And he says, 75% of the time, I choose your sermon. 25% of the time, blueberry waffles sound a lot better. Now, I understand that. You see, if, if in 1955, everybody had the kind of habit of church. Uh, and most people knew the language, and they knew the choreography, and they knew all of those kinds of things. But we live in a time in which that's no longer the case. So what does it mean to be the church in a time where most people, probably 90% of the Canadians, are thinking about doing something different? On Sunday morning. Well, that's why this story is such a fascinating one. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And you all know this story because if you grew up in church, how many of you grew up in church? Okay. Maybe not in church, but you came to church, right? Uh, I'd love to meet the person who actually grew up in church. But anyway, uh, for you, you went to Sunday school. What was the thing that you sang? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Stupid song. <laughs> like, really? Now, think about it. Now, please, if, if you're offended by me saying stupid, what I mean by that is trivial. Because what it tended to do in our minds, if you grew up in church, is take some of this, these stories, and in particular this story, and make it kind of feel like it was only for kids, and it was all about being little. When in truth, this story is a powerful story. Do you want to be like Jesus? One of my favorite writers, David Augsburger, says, we need a people who no longer just believe in Jesus. Hear this. But they believe in the things that Jesus believed in, and they do them. We need a force of people who don't just believe in Jesus. That's not enough but they believe in the things that Jesus believed in, and then they do them. Do you want to be like Jesus? Then it isn't enough just to say yes to him. It's the call to live out the things that Jesus believed passionately were critical. So that's why you study the stories of Jesus. Because in each of these stories, you're given a window into what Jesus was like. You want to be like him? This is what he was like. And the Zacchaeus story is fascinating because it has three kind of themes going on at the same time. There's the crowd, who are basically the religious establishment. A matter of fact, in the other stories we talk about, there will be religious establishment as well. That's us. We are, you know this, don't you? Hello? You do know you're the religious establishment? 80% of all Canadians say they believe in God. 84% say they do not believe in the church. Talk about that. 
The second one is Jesus, the second theme. And the third one is Zacchaeus. And Luke, who is the historian, gives you five details of things that he thinks are really important. The first thing he wants you to know is that his name was Zacchaeus, which means he was Jewish. So he was a person of the people. The second thing he wants you to know is that he was a tax collector. Anybody work for Revenue Canada here? Raise your hand, I dare you. (laughs) Right? I mean, we're not even sure about tax collectors now. One of my friends who works for Revenue Canada says this. When he's asked, do you work for Revenue Canada? He says, no, I work for the government. (laughs) Which I told him I didn't think was necessarily better. But that's okay. (laughs) But anyway, uh, he was a tax collector. Now, we think tax collectors, even today, are taking our money. The fact is, in the first century, tax collectors were taking their money. They were stealing. Uh, Most of them were thieves. Three for me, one for Rome. Four for me, two for Rome. It kind of worked that way. And that's why the third thing that that Luke tells us about Zacchaeus is critical. It says that he is wealthy which means he's a very good thief. He's good at this. And he's made a lot of money at it. It also means he's a traitor. He's been stealing from his own people. These people who are his people, he's been taking money from. The fourth thing that he says about Zacchaeus is that he's small. Not going to work with that. You can deal with it as you see. The fifth thing is it says that he was eager to see Jesus. Do you hear that? He was eager. I want to say something to you today. I I would suggest to you that in the 21st century, this is the most exciting time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For all the woe and all of the things that are said about churches that are in decline and denominations that are trying to find their identity and all of those kinds of things, I think this is the most exciting time to be in the church because we live in a time that actually is quite spiritual. (coughs) People are looking for something. They're looking for God. Remember, 84% Canadians say they believe in God. They just don't believe in us. They don't believe that we will take their search seriously. And you need to hear that. They don't think that we will actually listen in their eagerness for God. Oh, I know. You've met people. You know, isn't that beautiful? I am what I am. If that which I could be would be all that much me would allow me to be that which I could be. You've met those kinds of people, right? A kind of mumbo-jumbo spirituality. But hear it for what it is. It's a search for God. The story starts like this. Jesus is walking along in the crowd. And he looks up in the tree. And he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, pause. Always ask in these encounters, where are the pauses where where something's happening. Is my microphone going on and off? That's what I thought. It's okay, I'll get over it. Steve's going to give me this. (laughs) 
Sorry, had to, had to say that. I'm still getting over it. Oh, now he's leaving. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, where was I? Pause. Zacchaeus, pause. Always ask where the pauses are. Because the pauses are where something is happening in this encounter. And what's happening is the crowd. And they're standing there, and they're wringing their hands, and they're going, oh, this is going to be good. You see, Jesus has just done what all messiahs should do. He has reached the expectation of the crowd. He has given them what they want. He spotted a sinner. That's what messiahs are supposed to do. It's also what pastors are supposed to do. We were taught it in seminary, spotting sinners 101. And if you were really good at it, you did advanced spotting sinners 202. And Jesus has just done that. Zacchaeus, and the crowd goes, yes. And then he says, come down immediately. Pause. Now the crowd is on tiptoes. They are waiting. This is it. This is going to be good. And then he does the unexpected. First thing in mission, always understand this. God always does the unexpected. When you think you got it bagged, God will always do the unexpected. He will always surprise you. You can't think well enough. You can't plan well enough. You can't strategize well enough that God won't surprise you. And Jesus does. I'm going to go to your house and we're going to eat. Paraphrase. And then in verse 7, look at verse 7. It says this. And they all murmured. Do you know that a murmurer? I suppose you have no murmurs in this church, but a lot of churches have them. They're people who kind of never deal with you openly. They always kind of murmur in the back rooms or under the table or somewhere. Uh, In my tribe of churches, they're what I call Big B Baptists. Like they kind of, they're institutional and they murmur. And you hear it all the time. We used to have a murmur in the church I pastored in Edmonton. She sang in the choir. It was an interesting experience because she was sitting right here and the pulpit was here and she didn't like me. And so anything that I said from the pulpit, she would make sounds. She would go, if she didn't like what I was saying, she'd go, oh. And if she thought I was going too long, like some of you are thinking now, she'd look at her watch very public, like she'd go. (laughs) And if she was really upset with me, if she was really upset, she'd turn her back on me. Like, now you can imagine, it was pretty obvious that she was not good. One day, I was only a year into this, I would never teach this in pastoral theology, but one day, I just couldn't take it anymore on a Sunday morning. I can't even remember what I was preaching on. I just remembered that she went, oh, And I turned to her and I said, what? What do you want? I just remember the look on her face. It was kind of... Because she'd never been confronted before. Now, we had a balcony uh, in my church there. And uh, I I don't know about... I don't know if it's true here, but in our church, the balcony people were weird. 
Uh, a matter of fact, I used to wonder what they would bring their children down for the children's story, and then a group of them would, would disappear, and they'd all come back with uh, trays of Starbucks coffee. And what I found out was they would take orders before they brought down the kids, and then they would bring the coffee. But they were just weird people. I'm sure you're not. And I just remember that day when I said, what? And then I looked up at the balcony, and the whole balcony crowd was going, like, way to go, Gary. We needed this. You see, murmurers, murmurers hold you captive in churches. They, they just have a way of eroding God's work. This is the only, it'll say in most places in the gospel, it'll say the Sadducees murmured, the Pharisees murmured, the disciples murmured, the scribes murmured. This is the only place in the gospels where it says this, and they all murmured. Do you hear that? They all. Like Jesus loses them all in this encounter with Zacchaeus. Do you want to be like Jesus? Just some real quick things. I want you to notice what Jesus does here. Because I think this is the call to the church in the 21st century. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus is in the crowd. He's not at the synagogue. Now, this is not uh, an excuse to not come to church, so don't hear it that way. But it is a challenge to take the context in which you live your lives very, very seriously. You're not going to find the Zacchaeuses in the synagogue. They're out there where you work, where you coach, where you live your lives. There are people that don't know anything about this place. And the only bridge that they have is you. Do you know how hard it is to get to church? Like if you grew up in church, it's maybe not that hard. But if you've never been to church, this is a strange place. Like we just sang a whole bunch of songs. And then you jumped off the stage. What's going on here? <laughs> Bet you that didn't happen in the first mission conference. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, then all of a sudden we have communion and there's little cups and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. We're a culture. We're a context. And we're strange. Betsy came to this church I was pastoring in Vancouver and And when she walked in the door, she came in with three kids. They were all very different. And it turned out that not one of them had the same father. She was an aerobics instructor. Um, Don't get friends with an aerobics instructor because they bounce. They never sweat. Like, it's it's depressing to be around them because they're in shape. So we decided as a pastoral staff that what we would do is we would actually gather together on a Tuesday morning and she would lead us in a morning exercise. Have you ever done aerobics for the first time? It's dreadful. Every muscle in my body said, explain to me why we're doing this. Like, what exactly is this about? I mean, I was aching and I went back to my office. I sat in my chair, couldn't bend my back. I thought every muscle had had kind of spasmed on me. And Betsy bounces into my office not a drop of sweat. And I said to her, Betsy, we started a conversation. I said, so how did you get here? And this is what she said. Hear this. 
She said, Gary, do you know how hard it is to be in church? She said, I've never been in my whole entire life. More and more Canadians have less and less Christian memory. She said, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I just didn't feel good enough. I would come to churches and I would hold on to the door and then I'd feel this overwhelming sense that I wasn't worthy and I would leave. Now, it doesn't matter what you say about that. That's what she felt. And I said, well, why did you come here? And this is what she said. If you want to be accused of anything as a church, this would be a good thing to be accused of. She said, one of my friends, underline that, 87% of all people who come to Christ come because of a great sign on the church. No. Because of great preaching, I wish. 87% of all people who come to Christ and come to church come because of a significant relationship with a family member or a good friend. You hear that? I was talking to a friend and she said to me, this would be a great church where you would take me where I was and you would help me become something better. Boy, you want to be accused of something? Be accused of being a church that comes where people are and accepts them where they are. Do you hear that? What does it mean to accept them where they are? When they don't have the knowledge of the choreography and the language and all of the things that we know and we do sometimes automatically. And that's the second thing in here. Jesus knows this guy by name. He has a face. We have what I call in Christian churches today, what I call, I'm not going to jump off the stage because I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> we have in what I call in church in Canada today, what I call the, the, the Walmart syndrome. Hi. Welcome to Walmart. <laughs> you know the greeter? You know the greeter? You know, you know, he's, a, you know he's a plant. Right? Like, he doesn't really care. I hope there's no Walmart greeters here. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, let's let, it, be honest, right? Like, when you come in the door and he says, Hi. Did you see that? I stepped over the gap. Pretty athletic. Uh, I mean, he, he, he's trained to, to care. Hi, welcome to Walmart. And you're supposed to be to kind of silly enough to think he actually does. I tested this. I walked into Walmart one day, and the greeter came up to me, and he said, Hi, welcome to Walmart. And I said, Hi, I just need someone to talk to. <laughs> this is what he did. <laughs> he doesn't want to get to know me. That's what I mean by the Walmart syndrome in church. I'm not sure you want to get to know me in my mess. I'm not sure you want the discomfort of finding out what else is going on in my life. And so we kind of have a pseudo-community in which we know people by name, but we really don't know them by name. Jesus knows this guy by name when he calls him by name. It's like walking out 
when I heard you guys were here and we've known each other for so long and I walked out of the door and I see someone I love. Even though we're both messy people. That's what it means. People are hungry for that in this world. They're hungry for being being known and being seen and being accepted. They're hungry for that. Nike says, image is everything. Nike's wrong. Image is loneliness. And most of us hide behind our images. Most of us hide. I've mostly worked in downtown churches. But I mean, I think one of the great struggles in suburban churches is that, see, in a downtown church, everybody kind of bleeds all over everybody just because we're all such a mess. But in the suburbs, people hemorrhage. You know, they bleed internally. And it's because image is, there's something about image in that. Jesus knows them by name. What kind of a community are you? Are you going to take people where they are? The third thing I want you to notice in this passage is that Jesus identifies with him. I'm going home with you. Do you hear that? I'm going home with you. He actually gets in the house. How many houses have you been in recently with your neighbors? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, so don't go there if you've been trained to go there. <laughs> I'm just saying that we, we live in, in a condo, and, and part of the lifestyle of a condo is that you're not supposed to talk to each other. right? We live down on the lake in Toronto, and, and it's kind of... We live on the 28th floor. There's eight condos that are there. And it's, it, it, it for years had been this strange environment where you'd get on the elevator and you'd all get off, but you'd never talk to each other. You'd just say hi. And, and this is the favorite, my favorite ritual in a condo. <laughs> You're going up the elevator. And then their door opens and everybody goes, have a nice day. <laughs> I mean, it is the strangest thing. So my, my wife and I decided we were going to do, do something about that. So we decided to have a, a New Year's Day party, which ruined my football that I like to watch. And so, but we decided to have a New Year's Day party and invite everybody. And everybody came. On the eight condos, everybody came. And we had this amazing conversation. They asked me the, the question I hate to be asked, which is, what do you do? Well, <laughs> I'm a Baptist minister. Oh, <laughs> they all said. Um, and then usually it, it, they kind of tell you why they don't go to church or why, why they haven't been, which is kind of the, I say, well, that's okay because I don't take attendance. You know, and I go through all these things. But it takes a while for them to kind of loosen up after that. Um, but what was fascinating was... As people were leaving, they said this. I guess we're going to have to talk to each other in the hall now. Isn't that interesting? And it has been. Matter of fact, at that party, I was just on my way to Kenya, uh, just after the elections in Kenya. And they actually talked to Carla, and, you know, they they couldn't say pray. So they said, we're sending him good vibes. (laughs) Well, good vibes are good. Right? I'd, I'd, better than bad vibes. <laughs> so I, I said, so Carla said, oh, good. He could use good vibes. 
Bad vibes don't work. Uh, he identifies with them. He knows them by name, but he identifies. Jesus loses the crowd here, but Zacchaeus gains ground. Do you see that in this story? Like, Jesus loses ground. Zacchaeus gains ground in this story. And then the religious establishment do their thing. They murmur. How could he be doing this? You know, going to the house of a sinner. And then Jesus says something profound. And I would suggest to you this is the first thing that needs to change in our heads and in our hearts. He displays the heart of God. He says this. Why are you complaining so much? That's not really what he says, but it's basically that, right? He's saying, what's up? Like, what is the matter with you? You are missing this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was bad. No. Here's the heart of God. What was lost? Do you hear that? No, I mean, do you really hear that? To that person that you've always seen in a certain kind of way because they weren't going to church. Do you see it? To seek and to save what was lost. If you lose something important to you, you will do anything, even become uncomfortable and inconvenienced to make it happen, to find it again. Well, we'll talk about this more tomorrow. But I want to just leave you with this. There's a movie. I don't know if you guys go to movies. If you don't, and I do, and you're mad at me now, get over it. (laughs) Um, Guardian, Kevin Costner, worst movies in the world, but a movie. All the same. And, but it's a movie about buddies and the Coast Guard divers, and they get together, and they're doing these... Uh, I mean, he's this crusty old diver, and there's these young kind of upstart kind of... It's a typical buddy movie. And it all kind of coalesces, and they become friends, and all of those kinds of things. And it gets near the end, where they've finally kind of become friends. And this crusty old Coast Guard diver walks into the pool area... And he turns his back on them and he says this. If I am lost, will you come find me? And they yell back. Yes, petty officer. If you are lost, we will come find you. And then still with his back turned, he says, And if I am drowning, will you come save me? And they said, Yes, petty officer. If you are drowning, we will come save you. And then all of a sudden, he turns around and he says, I believe you would. I believe you would. It strikes me that if you want to be the church in the 21st century as a missionary people out there, if you want to be more like Jesus, then the passion needs to be there. A passion for the lost and the drowning, for the hurting and the marginalized, 
and a love for them so much that if they rip up your church, it doesn't matter. All that matters, all that matters is that you understand that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Do you want to be like Jesus? What kind of church do you want to be? Amen.